Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. This evening, the Lord will allow me, I want to teach, preach. Sometimes it's called treach, where you preach and teach together. But just whatever the Lord wants to do, I want to speak on the thought of preparing for promotion. In the last several Wednesdays, we've been doing a series on purposes greater than self. How many know that to be true? The purpose on your life and the assignment God has for you is greater than you having all your needs met, you being happy, you being uh, always where you want to be. A lot of the times when God is equipping you and training you, it is for some future thing. God is preparing you. So you are in line for your promotion, but promotions come through preparation. Can you say amen? And I want to talk about uh, David tonight, King David, if you will, one of the greatest leaders of God's people that we would discover even in the Old Testament, despite his human frailty. And if you are here tonight and you would say, Pastor, um, you know, I think you have to be perfect for God to use you. I would say, no, you do not. Uh, You are in the flesh. I don't care how spiritual you are. I was raised in a church that everything we did, we did with our eyes closed to prove that we were in the spirit. And somebody say, oh, we had a great time. And they'd say, were their eyes closed? (laughs) Isn't that a sad commentary that that's how we perceive that God could use you. Your eyes had to be closed. But just go ahead and pinch yourself and see how frail you are right here. You, You in the flesh. You still here, you're not on cloud nine headed for 10 yet. You are still here. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you, but you can be perfected while God is using you. So David was a man that had human frailty, but he, was, he became a model for all the kings that followed him. And so the New Testament writers hold him up as someone worth imitating. He was an Old Testament king, but he was mentioned in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 13, and I want to read two verses in this called verse 22 and 36 together. Father, I ask tonight that the word of the Lord would come alive to our hearts and our spirit for those that are assembled in this congregation, those that are watching online, and we declare your power in Jesus' name. The church say amen. The Bible teaches us here in Acts 13, and this is a New Testament writing. Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, who predominantly gives us not only the story of Jesus, but would go on to give us the perspective of Paul and the perspective of Peter. We read in verse 22 of Acts 13, and when he had removed him, speaking of King Saul in the Old Testament, he raised up unto them David, to be their king, to whom also he gave their testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. I want you to underline in your Bible, if you feel comfortable in doing so, in verse 22, he raised up unto them David. God always has someone in the wings. You know, have you ever heard people say, well, this church couldn't survive without me? Well, it, let me just say this. It was here before you got here. Jesus said he'd build a church that the gates of hell would not prevail against. And so a lot of people say that not just about church, but they say that about other things. Well, this wouldn't survive without me. It, it probably would. It'd be better if 
you were involved, but God's still going to have a church. God always has somebody waiting in the wings. So I would say to every one of us, myself included, don't become complacent in the thing that God has blessed you with because someone right now would gladly take your place. God raised him up, David, to be their king. And then we get to the end of David's life, and the writer says in verse 36, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell on sleep, that means he went to sleep dead, and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. He went back to the dust from whence he came. But it didn't happen until he had served his generation. So until you've done what God told you to do, you're not going anywhere. That ought to help somebody and ought to, ought to make somebody else upset. Until you have served your generation, until you have fulfilled your assignment, only Jesus could be the author and the finisher. And the Bible said he's the finisher of my faith. And if he's the finisher, he's the only one that can pronounce a benediction over me. No hater can pronounce a benediction over me. Only Jesus, no religious person, <laughs> no super spiritual person in the church can announce a benediction. I'm not going anywhere till God says so. Until it's my time. Oh my. And so David served his own generation. So I want to talk tonight and glean a little bit from the life of David for our lives and us as ministers and leaders and Christians in the church. First of all, write this down. Life is a journey. And I hope you're taking notes in the journal. We have new journals for you to purchase. Uh, you can uh, run back there right now. If they, they'll, they'll sell one to you even while I'm speaking. <laughs> Say life is a journey. And when we look at the life of David and the overview of his life, we see that he had various seasons and phases. All of you and, and all of us, we go through seasons and phases. If you remember the book of Ecclesiastes says there's a time to be born, there's a time to die, there's a time to cry, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to speak, there's a time to hush. <laughs> and how many know that there's a season for everything? So David's life models seasons and phases. Some of his seasons and phases were joyful. Some of them were victorious. But some of them were dark and discouraging. Can I get a witness? And we've all had our ups and we've had our downs. Have you ever seen somebody post about their wedding anniversary and they'll say, well, we've had our ups. And I already know they're going to post that. Our ups and the downs. Somebody said, did you know so-and-so had their anniversary? And I want to say to them, did they say they had their ups and downs? <laughs> All of us have come through joy and victory and dark and discouraging. All of us. Somebody say all of us. But I want to give you a brief timeline of David, and I want you to jot these dates down and these uh, things about David as I talk about them. First of all, we see him at a pivotal moment in his life while he was 17 years old. That's when he was anointed and prophesied over for a great future that was coming into his life. David's destiny was revealed to him at a young age when he was anointed by the prophet Samuel in front of his brother's 
as you know, who would become jealous. And this was the sovereign choosing of God. He wasn't appointed. He wasn't elected. He didn't have anybody come up. He didn't have to run a campaign. He didn't put any signs in the yard. He didn't have to have anybody telemarket for him. He was appointed by God. God did it sovereignly. Isn't it interesting that it don't matter who's against you if God before you. God can open up a door for you right in the middle of nowhere. And God opened up a door for him as a young man in front of people who would later despise him. Some people hate you because they ain't you. And they hated on David even without a cause, 17 years old. And for the next 13 years, we see a timeline unfold. David defeats Goliath. He's in service in Saul's court. And he goes from being a servant in the court to being a fugitive, hunted by the very man he was serving. Then we find him at 30 years old. He's anointed king in Hebron and over Judah. And he serves for seven and a half years. Then we see him at 37 and a half years old. And finally, he's anointed king in Jerusalem over Israel. So now he's not just king over the southern region. He's king over the north and the south. Hey. And he reigns for 33 years. Now listen to this. By the time he reaches 70 years old, he has served 40 years as a king. 40 is a good number. 40 years he has served as a king. And that's when he takes his seat and goes to sleep. But at no time did David have the full picture other than a few snapshots along the way. You know, we get somebody comes and prophesies over us and we think, oh, praise the Lord, I'm going to run out right now and start me a 501c3. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, give free gift offers. I'm going to get free bottles of water out of the Jordan River shipped over here. And then if everybody that gives on my website, I'm going to send them a bottle of oil and a prayer cloth and bless them. Jesus didn't do that. He never got booked on TBN. He didn't get booked on Daystar. He didn't. He didn't have a podcast, he didn't have any of that. Actually, the first thing that he did is he went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. Led by the Holy Ghost, after that was over, he was led full of the Holy Ghost, he came out. That lets me know you can go into a situation and come out full of the Holy Ghost. He didn't lose his victory in the wilderness. That was the first thing he did. He didn't go around trying to shake hands and kiss babies and get booked. He was only had a few snapshots along the way of what his future would look like. His life had to be a walk of faith. He had to trust God for every step that he was taking along the way. And sometimes he had to do it in contradictory circumstances. And yet through it all, God was at work in David's life. We find David in the cave of Abdullam. David was unsure of how God was going to work things out, but he committed to find out what God was going to do. And during that time, David is a pursued man living in caves and strongholds and wildernesses, and he's anointed by God. God's called him, but he's running, his, from, uh, 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 he's running helter-skelter because a man is jealous of him and has animosity of him, and David is running for his life, and a word from God about his current circumstances that God was going to take him into victory was contrary to what he was experiencing. And there are some people, and God told me this tonight, there'll be some of you, you have a word from the Lord, but your circumstance is contrary to what the word said. So you have to trust God 
to believe that you are in, your, your life is in the hand and the timing of God. You can have the direction of God, but you also have to have the timing of God. And when you have the direction of God and the timing of God, you have the intersection of opportunity. I may know where God's taking me, but if I don't have his timing, I better wait on the Lord. Look at 1 Samuel 22 and verse 3, and David went thence to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and stay here with you till I know what God will do for me. I've had to make those very same decisions. I had to wait on the Lord till I knew what God was going to do for me. <laughs> so I give you a few insights. Oh, I'd like to stay in verse 3, but I got to hurry. A few insights that I want to share with you tonight from David. First of all, write this down. God raises up a leader progressively over time. When God raises you up over time, what is he doing? He is gradually increasing your influence. Think of Joshua. When he was a young man, he was selected and asked to go into the, the, the Canaan land, but he was a young man. The influence he had on his life as a young man wasn't enough to turn the crowd's opinion. Only one other brother by the name of Caleb said, we're well able to take this land. But the other 10 had more influence. So at a young age, he didn't have enough influence to shift the minds. But what happened? God took him over a period of time where when Moses appointed him to be his successor, by that point, God had raised him up and gave him influence. Are you with me? So when God is progressing you, he is gradually increasing your influence for a future time. He makes a person along the way by building us in character and giving us a stick to or a perseverance that we can't be talked out and we won't quit when we don't get our way. And over time, David's circle of influence spreads. And not only did his influence spread, his favor spread. <laughs> so it took years for what God spoke over him to come to pass. And David was attacked. He was tried in many ways. And at times it just didn't seem like God's word was going to come to pass in his life. So God progresses, progressively leads you over time. The second thing I want you to write down is that David's promotion to prominence was gradual. And this kind of goes hands in hand, hand in hand. But first, I want you to remember that when he fought in the army under Saul, then he was made king of Judah after that. He had to join the army first before he ever became the king. And then he became king not only of Judah, the south region, but then he became king of Israel. And finally, he had international influence. That's what David's life led to. David was patient along the way and that allowed God to promote him because he was patient. Here's the next thing. He was faithful in the little things. If we are faithful in the little things, we will be entrusted with greater responsibilities. Remember when he was caring for his daddy's sheep? It's no fun 
having to fight off lions and bears and pick uh, sheep dung off of your sheep and comb them and keep them from wandering off and getting in ditches. The shepherd's job is a tough job. But he was faithful. He was faithful in the little things. You got to be faithful in the little things before God ever calls you to your own flock. Before God ever gives you international, regional influence, you have to be faithful in the very small thing. Here's the next one. Spiritual growth takes time. So David is anointed as king by Samuel when he's about 17 years old and he would actually rule over Israel. But we understand it would take many years for that come to pass. So I would say, like I've said a lot, that when we're raising up leaders at Bethel, we're not raising weeds, we're raising trees. A weed is something you can just yank up real quick. It, don't ha it might give you a little fight, but you can pull it up by the roots pretty quick. Ask me how I know. I had gone to Dallas, Texas one time on a business trip and I come home. Pastor Bev had told me that she had remulched the whole mulch beds and the plants around our house. I was so excited because that meant I didn't have to do it. And she took pride in it. I got home, I, as, as, you know, as most husbands do, I walked around, give it my inspection. Hmm. Come on, come on. I was just wanting to see what she had done. And I get to the side of the house over by the air conditioner unit and I see this real tall, taller than me, beautiful flower. And Beverly said, I don't know who planted that, but isn't it just beautiful? I said, well, it really is. It's beautiful. I said, but honey, that's not a flower. That's a weed. She said, how do you think that's a weed? Look how pretty. I said, watch this. And I walked over and went, Kink. it came right up out of the ground because it didn't have no roots. So we, we trying to raise trees in this house and not no weeds. I know that's not good English, but somebody say, not no weeds. Look over at your neighbor and say, I'm tired of weeds. Now, I'm not tired of you. I'm just tired of weeds. <laughs> so we understand growth takes time. God wants you to be a tree that is planted by the waters, whose roots run deep. Oh, come on. Then David began and he ended his ministry by acknowledging this. Write this down. The sovereignty of God. God is sovereign in the lives of his people. David recognized that God's hand and God's call was upon his life. And he gave God the credit. He didn't give himself the credit. He didn't go around saying, me, 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 me. He gave God the credit and pointed to God's influence on his life. And he realized that his destiny was for the nation, not Instagram. <laughs> his destiny was for the nation, not his ego. I would ask you tonight, what about you? Is it a, are you in a high season or are you in a low season? Are you in the fulfillment phase or are you in the frustration phase? Oh, come on, somebody. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus talked about being yoked to him. And I would just ask you, are you running ahead of God or are you lagging behind God? Or are you keeping in step with God in every part of the journey? 
Come on, somebody. And if you really want to know the answers to those questions, just ask the person next to you who knows you pretty well. Are you running ahead of God? Are you always the first horse out of the gate? There's always one in every group. They're the first to tell news and say, oh, I wasn't supposed to tell nobody. Yeah, you did. You did that on purpose because you always want to be the first to tell it. Come on now. Are you running ahead of God or are you lagging behind God? Everybody say, hurry up. Come on. What are we waiting on for? You know better. You knew what time we were supposed to leave. Are you running ahead of God or are you lagging behind God? Or are you right in step with what God is doing in your sovereign journey? Let me ask you to write this down. Have courage in the face of challenges. This is what David had to do. David had many challenges in his life. Along the way, God sovereignly led him. He faced a lion, he faced a bear, he faced a giant and many other challenges and many other problems. He had to deal with personalities. He had to deal with principalities. David was a fighter and he was a warrior and David chose to face his challenge with a way that was pleasing unto God. And my thought is it was, it was key to his success. To say, God, I'm going to have courage in the face of the challenge. The confrontation, write this down, of Goliath is an example of David's courage to face adversity. Israel and the Philistines are at war, each of them on a hill in a valley between them. Goliath from Gath, the Philistine, he's the champion. He's over nine feet tall. He's wearing bronze armor. He has a bronze spear. He, has a, he even has a shield bearer who goes ahead of him. This is a big dude. And Goliath is challenging the nation of Israel and saying, send me somebody to fight me, if you dare. And Israel was dismayed and Israel was terrified. Even the king was terrified. Saul didn't know what to do. It took 40 days. He came forward every morning and every evening and he breathed his bad breath. And he, he challenged the nation of Israel because the enemy is always passionate and intense and unrelenting in his attack. Whoever told you that you would never have to endure a day, endure a day of conflict in your life as a Christian told you a lie. Paul said, fight the good fight. Lay hold to eternal life. I know that the grace of God will keep you, but I'm telling you, just getting out of bed and going to Walmart is a struggle. You got, you got to get up. You got to go. And we know that the enemy has come to seek, to destroy all of God's people. He's determined to, to intimidate us and to destroy us. And so we have a challenge. Sometimes in the natural, it seems like an impossible situation. Some of you in your life, even this past year, have dealt with so many unexplainable problems that just came one right after another and you have said, God, this is seemingly an impossible situation. And now you have Saul, who is the leader of the nation. He's afraid. He don't know what to do. And as a result, the people got afraid. When the leader gets afraid, the people become afraid. And they got discouraged and didn't know what to do. And the Bible said in verse 24 that they ran from Goliath and with great fear. They ran from him. 
So David enters the scene. He's the youngest of eight. He is Jesse's son, and he has the responsibility of tending sheep for his father in Bethlehem, and he has three older brothers who are already serving in this army, and Jesse sends David and says, I want you to go down there and check and see how everything's going, and let me know that my, my children are alive. Let me know how the battle is faring. And this is where we see, write this down, a warrior spirit in David. His first words were who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he has the audacity to defy the army of the living God. And he says, don't become discouraged. Don't you dare lose heart. I'll fight him. I'll take his head off. <laughs> David was not intimidated by what he saw with his eyes. He was not intimidated by what he saw with natural circumstances. Yesterday, I went to a high school here in town and spoke to over 100 high school students and junior high students. You talk about an intimidating moment. I would rather be right here ministering to the saints and some of the ain'ts than to stare down a junior higher where everybody's got the same hairdo. <laughs> David refused to be intimidated by what he saw because he looked through the eyes of faith with a confidence that said, I know that God is able and nothing is impossible with him. Now he had to deal with a few things. He had to deal with intimidation. He was intimidated by his older brother Eliab who seemed jealous of David and seemed envious of David and the words that he spoke against him. And I promise you, when you step up to lead, some people will be so jealous of you, they will never give you a kind word. He had to deal with King Saul who looked down on him because he was just a youth. Well, you can't do this. And then he had to deal with the intimidation of Goliath who ridiculed him and taunted him, my God. And in the face of intimidation from his own family, from the king, from the enemy, David still had confidence and he still had courage in God. His faith was in the power of almighty God. And I've come to declare to you and to me tonight that our victory is certain. Jesus already overcame and said, be of good cheer, I have overcome. Oh, I wish somebody would shout right there. I have overcome the world. If you're an overcomer, say yeah. yeah. So he was fighting the Lord's battle. You don't have to fight a battle he already won. Mm. The faith of one person led to the victory of a nation. An entire nation's victory came because one young shepherd boy had courage and had confidence and stepped toward his destiny on his progressive journey of growth in God. What about us? I, I just have to say ministry is both fulfilling and challenging. I've said for years, and I will say it again in this message, you deal with personalities and you deal with principalities. Now you can decide what the person is next to you. They either a personality or they're a principality. 
But all of us have challenges. Amen? I remember when I had to lead the choir at one time in the church and had choir members showing up late, choir members singing off key. Amen? And then you had to pastor these people after you had to tell them, you, you're off, brother. You're just off. You, you can't, you can't, you shouldn't be on this choir. No, I never said that before. I thought it. What are you doing here? Me, 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 me. Come on. And anything you lead, any department you lead, any place at work you lead, you got to deal with personalities and principalities. Sometimes it's just not worth the 10 cents more an hour. Write this down. Ministry stretches you. You're constantly being pulled out of your comfort zone. You're being stretched. Sometimes even your own pastor will stretch you and ask you to do something you're not comfortable with. And I've had people say, Pastor, I just don't feel comfortable. And I'll say, good, it's working. You've got to be stretched. Amen? When I was little, we played with a toy called Stretch Armstrong. And I stretched him so bad and then poked a needle in him until all his gook came out of him. My mom said, why'd you do that for? I said, wanted to see what he had in him. Sometimes God will stretch you to see what you got in you. You gonna quit? You gonna get your feelings hurt, boo-boo? See, I don't know nobody's business, but it feels good to talk about. You gonna quit just because somebody didn't like you? Ministry, write this down, can be very draining. It can be draining physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Ministry comes with responsibility, a great amount of responsibility. And it comes with pressure. Some people say, well, I was, I, you know, I really enjoyed coming to church when I didn't have to do anything. But you have to serve. If you don't serve somewhere, you're going to rot on the vine. Write this down. There are many problems and challenges to work through. There's no easy answers. You have to work through problems. You have to work through challenges. And, and just when you say you're going to do something for God, here comes sickness knocking at your door. Here comes somebody in your family acting cuckoo. You got some marriage issue. You give more time to that church than you do to me. <laughs> Fatigue will hit you. Fatigue. You feeling tired and run down. Financial pressures. Man, it costs a lot of gas to get here. Boy, you are a captive audience tonight. Lock the doors. It's a challenge. Anytime you step up to lead, you're going to face problems. Do you think the devil's going to help you? Here's the third thing right now. Challenges have the potential to make you strong. The very process of facing and dealing with life's challenges is how you become strong. Amen? You can't develop strength without pressure and without a degree of stress. And sometimes it causes pain. But it's the hard time that make you strong. It's what you went through. It's what you go through that brings you out on the other side, not with just the test, but a testimony. I know a lot of people, they just have a money. But God wants you to have a testimony, amen? It's not what I went through. It's what I learned when I came out on the other side that God brought me through. 
There's an old, uh, an old uh, proverb that says, smooth seas never made a skillful sailor. You gotta have the high waves. You gotta have the strong wind. All the challenges that we face are vital for us to getting to our destiny. I had to learn how to develop resiliency. I had to learn to not quit. I had to learn to stay in the fight. I had to learn to cast my care upon the Lord. I had to learn to discover the peace of God that would surpass my understanding when my mind was full of mental anguish and I didn't had to, I couldn't sleep the night through, but I had to learn how to trust in the Lord. Listen, I'm telling you, God, he will give you a test to see if you will pass that test. And if you don't pass the test, God will allow for retakes. Can you say amen? You have to learn how to overcome every challenge and draw on God's strength. Amen? Not ask for God's strength. Draw on God's strength. His grace and his goodness is available to us. And then you learn how to be optimistic in the future. Now, before I close tonight, oh, I have so much, I, I'm just skipping through here because I want to give you this. Learn how, this is what David had to do. He had challenges, he had all these things he had to learn to deal with, we're fast tracking. This is ultimately the most beautiful part of his life, in my opinion. Learning how to leave a legacy through other people. Leaving a legacy for other people. Now, we're not going to turn there, but you can turn there if you want to, but we're not going to read out loud from there. But 2 Samuel 23, I want to give you some, some highlights here. David was a great leader. He did amazing things for God and for God's people. But I think one of the greatest things that David did was he raised up other people and inspired them to greatness. I don't know how he did all of it. There wasn't, you know, an app that he could send them Starbucks cards through. There was no group me where he could say, I just want to tell you the team, y'all took us up. Amen. Didn't have the group me app. Didn't have the Starbucks app. He couldn't DoorDash anybody anything. Couldn't Instacart you any groceries. There wasn't no Venmo. Come on, no cash app. Come on, somebody. Because you know what? They really love me. They help a brother out. Show me some love. How did David encourage these men? Do you think that, uh, well, anyhow. 2 Samuel 23, and the whole story, and you can jot these verses down. It, it, it takes place from verse 8 all the way to verse 39. But we don't hit it fast. 37 men are mentioned. Now there's two sets or two groups of three. I don't have time to break all that down, but I want you to catch this. First of all, there's Josheb Bathsheba. In verse eight, the Bible said he raised his spear against 800 men and killed them all. Man, I'd like to have him on our security team. He raised a spear and killed 800 men. Now, that sounds pretty incredible to me. He was a mighty man that David raised up under his leadership. But you have to remember the backstory of all these men that are listed in this chapter, 2 Samuel 23. When they came to David while David was in the wilderness, he had his own issues when other people started seeking him out 
to help them. Sometimes God will not wait till you have perfected yourself before he plants you to use you. He will use you in your weakness. He will use you in your brokenness. And when they came to him, the Bible said they were broke, busted, and disgusted. They were in debt, in distress. Amen? By the time David gets this group of wild people that nobody else wanted, no other church wanted them, <laughs> David says, I got my own stuff. I'm being hated without a cause. They blasted me on Facebook. I got to deal with that. Come on, somebody. And in the middle of all of his stuff, God says, here's some people that I want you to raise up. This is why I say you can't wait till your children grow. You can't wait till you have finished school. You can't wait till this. You can't wait. You got to start where you are. That's where you start. And this man, his backstory is he's broke, busted, and disgusted. But by the time David trains him and raises him, he kills 800 men with one spear. And then there's Eleazar. Verses 9 through 10. He stood his ground against the Philistines and the men that entered Israel and all the men of Israel when they had retreated and everybody was scared. He kept fighting and the Bible said he fought until his hand grew tired and froze to his sword. That's what kind of man he was. And God won the victory because he cleaved his hand to the sword and he became one with the weapon. And God trained him. God raised him up. Then the third I'd like you to write down is Shammah. The Bible said he took his stand in the middle of a field of lentils. We call them a pea patch. And Israel, when they got scared and ran, he defended it and God gave him a victory. He defended the very patch that God gave him. Don't let anybody run you off of your ministry. Don't let anybody run you off of your calling. Don't let anybody run you off of your assignment. Stand smack dab in the middle of it and say, come if you want to, but I'm not giving my pee patch up for nobody. And then you have the three other mighty men in verse 13 and 17. The Bible said they broke through the Philistine camp and brought water to David from the well of Bethlehem. Think about that. David and his group are on a great, great run. There's enemies all around them and David starts bragging around the fire or wishful thinking says, I sure would like to have oh, that I could have a sweet tea. No, that's not what he said. Oh, that I could have me a venti ice caramel macchiato shaking three pumps. That's kind of what he was doing. He said, oh, that I could taste the wells of my forefathers in Bethlehem, knowing that the wells were behind enemy lines. And three of his mighty men who had courage said, oh, did you hear what he was saying? I, I don't think we can door dash it because they, they're afraid to go in the hood. They, they're, they're afraid to go over into the hood so we can't door dash, what are we gonna do? Well, I want to bless the man of God. He's our king and he's our leader. And so the Bible said that they snuck out of the camp, went across enemy lines, got a jar and filled the water up and brought it back to David and said, here you go, king. Let your taste and your thirst be satisfied. They were mighty men of God. Oh, sometimes God will use you in strange ways. Sometimes 
God will pull you out and put you in a conflicted place where you have to stand in the face of the adversary and the enemy. Oh, let me preach in here a little bit. There have been times when my pastor was under fire and people were coming against my leader and they were saying things behind their back and they were saying things and they'd try to draw me aside and say, what do you think about this? And I, my response to them is, I don't. I don't think about anything like that. My eye is on Jesus. My heart is on Jesus. I got no time to fuss and I got no time to cuss. I got no time to get messed up in somebody else's disgruntledness. I'm going to keep my eye up on the Lord. Sometimes you'll have to cross enemy lines, enemy territory to fulfill the assignment of God up on your life. I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight, but God will sometimes take you into the enemy's camp so you can bring somebody out. And the Bible teaches us that these three men snuck into the enemy's camp, took the water, and brought it back to They were known as mighty men for that act of courage. And then we see in 18 and 19, Abishai, who raised his spear against 300 men and killed them. And he became as famous as the three mighty men. And then we find Benaiah, verse 20 to 23, a valiant fighter who struck down two of Moab's best men killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day, <laughs> struck down a huge Egyptian. He killed him with his own spear that he snatched out of his hand. And he was just as famous as the three and even then the 30. He was a famous warrior for God. David left a legacy in the people he was raising. The mighty became mighty. Come on now. One of the greatest joys of leadership is seeing people rise up and do th great things for God. That's the joy of leadership. And that's the purpose of your preparation. See, we, we say, well, you know, God's preparing me. He's going to use me. And he will. But by the time it's all said and done, you're going to look back and say, it really wasn't even about me. It was about the people God put in my life that I could prepare them to grant them favor, to help fund them, to position them to receive every good thing that God wants to have, them to have. It's not about you. It's about the people coming behind you. Amen? The older I get, and I'm very young, but the older I get, <laughs> the more I realize it's about the people who have come behind. Amen? Now, I won't help everybody. I know that. I'd like to. You would. Wouldn't you like to help everybody under your care? I'd say. I'd say every one of us want to help somebody make do better. And that's what we are positioned here to do. Parents make the way better for their children. Amen? The Bible says that a man, a wise man, would leave an inheritance for his children, right? An inheritance, and, and it could be money, right? Could be land, could be houses, or it could be character. It could be a work ethic. It could be skill and ingenuity. A wise man, wise woman, I'll say too, will leave their children an inheritance because they know 
that they have to deposit something in them for the day that they will no longer be around. I'm blessed to have my parents. My wife's blessed to have her parents. They're still living. All of our parents are still living. I have no grandparents left, but my parents are still living. I'm blessed, and I realize even now, as they've reached their senior years, that every year is more precious than ever. And sometimes I hear them tell stories, Sister Sat, and I'm like, I didn't know that. It's like, you waited all this time to tell me that? One of the greatest joys I have is being around Pastor Hill, who is my uncle, as well as our care pastor. His mother and my dad's mother are, are the same. Two different fathers. My, my grandfather, Jim Hilton, raised Pastor Hill and his four other siblings. And then they went on to have six more children. My grandfather raised the whole crew. A loving family. He was a good man. I, I, I wept when he passed. I was 16 years old when my grandpa passed away. But he left something in my dad that my dad has now left in me. And I would hope to leave to my daughter and her children. Because we pass it on to the people that are coming behind us so that the legacy will be thicker and greater. They should not have to start at ground zero. Amen? So leave a hefty inheritance for your children so they don't have to start at ground zero. While I'm here, leave a hefty inheritance for your church. Let me go to this side. <laughs> leave a hefty inheritance for your church. So we don't have to start at ground zero. That with every generation, it gets better and richer and sweeter. Amen? And that's the whole purpose. We're going to walk together and we're going to see people raised up as they are being processed for their purpose. As they're being prepared for their purpose. David had significant moments that shaped his future. And all of that was to get him to a place where he could then take people and train them and release them. Bow your head for a moment, if you will. I want to ask you, who are you training right now? Who are you pouring your life into? If you have children, then I've already had, you already know who to pour into. Maybe it's your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews. Maybe God has sent you a young person or someone who's young in the faith or that there just seems to be a connection that God is using you now to prepare them to help them. To raise up people. To build something mighty for God. I promise you that when you start to set out to do it and the anointing of God is upon your life to do it, that will not exempt you from problems or challenges. And some of those challenges will even come from church people. Some of those challenges will come from coworkers and staff. Some of those challenges will come just because you have stepped up to lead and it's par for the course. How you handle that will determine how fast you come out of that. If you can allow God to process you in the problem, he will accelerate you at an accelerated pace above your enemy's reach. 
but it's taking the mind of God and saying, God, I don't know what you're doing in this situation, but my trust is in you. Process me, Lord, that on the other side of this, I can look back and say, this was the reason I had to go through that. The years of waiting, the years of being misunderstood, hmm. the trials and the error, times I slipped and fell and had to get myself back up. Tonight, some of us may feel like David, who was a mighty man, but remember, the mightier you are, the more you're after, the devil's after you. The more anointing upon your life, the more the enemy has laid a course to try to take you out. So endure hardship as a good soldier. Fight the good fight of faith. Resist temptation so that it may flee from you. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall give you the desire of your heart. Father, I thank you for your presence here. And I ask, Lord, that you prepare us and equip us, Lord, to be a legacy leader, to lead other people as we ourselves are being processed, as we ourselves are being prepared, finding people that we can help prepare. Some of you in this room tonight, you are committed to education, you're committed to growth, committed to Christian education. Thank God. Pursue it all. Allow the Holy Spirit to open up avenues. I believe that God can open up avenues that will also bring revenues. <laughs> Ooh, I felt that for somebody. An avenue that produces a revenue. Thank you, Lord. Somebody reach up and claim that. Hallelujah. Jesus, thank you. God's going to give you dreams of how to do it. <laughs> Ooh, it's going to come to you. Favor be upon you. But in your pursuit of all of it, always be mindful that it's to help someone else. So to never just be about me, it'll always be about the people I can bring along, build up, and catapult forward. If you have children, you know what that is. You're trying to do that for your children right now. And I'm not talking about being a one of them parents that yells at the coaches that your child does no wrong. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being someone that positions their child to first of all, know the power of God and the destiny of God's purpose upon their life. And the Bible said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added unto you. But the key is to seek God first, to make him number one. When you put God first, he'll make other things just blossom in your life because he knows he can trust you. He can trust you with it. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to prepare our heart to be a seedbed that will bring a harvest of other people's victories and destinies through us. God, for our leaders who serve in this house, I pray, God, that you will anoint them afresh and anew. That when we serve, we serve with gladness. We come before your presence with singing. And we declare, Lord, that you're using us to help build your kingdom. God, no matter what we face, what adversity has been before us.
And God, I pray for those that started and maybe somehow, somehow there was a hiccup or a, a turn in the road and it's a, now it's, it's in a direction we had not envisioned, but God, you're still, you're still sovereign. Woo. You're still God that's leading us step by step. And you will use the turn for our benefit, for our good and your glory. And so God, we submit to you now. If you feel comfortable in doing so, lay your hand upon your chest and begin to decree destiny over your life. Begin to thank God for the purpose. And if you know what your purpose is, I want you to begin to say it under your breaths, to call it out and declare it over yourself. As God would lead you, as God would direct you, as God would train you, as God would even allow the test to come to you, that you will be faithful and fruitful through it all, through it all, through it all. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in this moment. Teach us, lead us. Thank you, Lord. You're everything that we desire, everything we hope to be. Stand to your feet if you will. And I want you to just do something that we did in school yesterday. When I told the students, I said, the universal sign for surrender is to lift your hand. But you're not surrendering to the enemy, you're surrendering to the King of Kings. So just, just with a moment, slip your hand up and declare God's will, and God's purpose over your life. Father, I thank you that you are my guide, you are my God, you are the order of my steps, you are the director of my feet, you are the strength in my weakness. Hallelujah. Come on with your voice unto the Lord. Let God heal you. If there's insecurity that you're battling, let God heal that. You are enough. God loves you. You don't have to do anything to get God to love you more. He will always love you. Hallelujah. You are enough. Thank you, Lord. I speak healing to someone's mental well-being, those that are being fought in their mind. In Jesus' name, I take authority over anguish, over stress and anxiety. In Jesus' name, I take authority over suicidal thoughts. In Jesus' name, I take authority over inferiority complexes. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, I speak the blood of Jesus over every person here. In your mind, be made whole right now. Be delivered right now from everything the enemy has tried to weigh against you. In Jesus' name, nightmares, you have to go. Hallelujah. Restless sleep, you have to go. Insomnia, you have to go. Anything that has a name has to come under the name of Jesus. Somebody say his name. Cry his name. Hallelujah. We declare that in the mighty name of Jesus. No weapon formed against us shall be able to prosper in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand of praise and let him know you love him tonight. Thank him. Thank him. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 